Hello, and welcome back to the Self Healer Soundboard. Today's episode is dedicated to play, a practice that we have been integrating more and more into our days as when we peel back and really look, we see that it very easily goes missing. I actually think, Jenna, that starting with a conversation about why it often goes missing for for us and probably for many of you listeners out there is a really great place to start. And I know personally for me, play was largely absent in my life for probably about 35 years. And again, the reason being um, when we are locked, when our bodies, you know, aren't feeling safe, usually again, based on past experiences that we've had, some of us can carry that fight or flight mode, also known as survival mode with us well into adulthood. And when we're in survival mode, when our body is, is primed and ready for the threat at hand with its sole focus on survival, very logically, play is, is not a priority. Um, and for a very long time, what I came to realize very early on in my healing journey was how much my body was stuck in that fight or flight. And so very accordingly, I really wasn't playful. I had a hard time, you know, being lighthearted and I didn't really have moments of even engaging, I think, in the more typical uh, things that come to mind when we think of play, like playing games or, you know, playing a more organized way. And that, I mean, that was largely gone because I was so focused on what I was doing in terms of work and obligations and all of these endless other places that I put my, my time and attention. So play, I think, you know, is a great place to start. And I just want to honor all of you out there listening who might not find playful moments in your day. And again, the reason being when our bodies don't feel safe, when we're in survival mode, when we do have an endless list of obligations, we might not actually be able to inhabit that, that light, that playful space. You could break it down into two sides of the fence. There's those of us who are going through our lives without play and without even understanding or really having an awareness that there is no play, which is very common and very normal in a conditioned society where, you know, we strive to achieve and to please others. When we're young, we very early on are kind of routed in this performance, you know, achieve, 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 get a good outcome, choose your actions based on the outcome you want to attain or that will fulfill the expectations of others. So a lot of us become very serious, very professional. We don't even realize that we aren't playful anymore. We don't have that childlike wonder, joy, or curiosity, or we at least aren't embodying that throughout our days. So there's that whole side. And then there's those who become aware of this detachment of this autopilot, you start to gain the awareness for the first time as an adult that for so long you have strayed from play or play has become foreign to you, or it's something that you've been shamed out of. A lot of us over time get shamed out of play without even realizing it. The older we get, you know, the more you're either made fun of or looked down upon for being joyful or having this childlike wonder that we associate is for a child. Well, that means that when you're no longer a child and you continue to grow into age, then you must leave all of that behind which isn't the reality. Reality is that within each of us, there is still 
fill that child. There is an inner child within that needs that nurturing. And for many of us as a child, we didn't receive that. We were children who became adults without ever having those child needs met, like safety, a safe space to truly express, to truly be, to be spontaneous, to have curiosity. We need to, in a way, kind of tap back in or go back to that inner child that's still here and practice consciously now as an adult, fulfilling those needs that weren't met, actually creating and cultivating a practice of play in our lives, which can be very confronting and very uncomfortable for a grown adult who has dismissed and not engaged with play for so many decades. I really appreciate, Jenna, you acknowledging that play is a part of our life or ought to be, can be a part of our life even well into adulthood. Because I do think a lot of us, you know, we get to a certain age or again, maybe we heard from those in our environment all of the different reasons why we shouldn't be playful or where our attention is is better spent. And when you're talking about this kind of like channeling into performance and achievement, I really resonate with that. And I saw that tendency or that drive in my play. And what I mean when I say that is very early on, I noticed that I loved to play structured games, particularly games that had a winner and a loser. And I'm sure those of you who have maybe heard me describe myself as an overachiever before might not be surprised to hear me say, I didn't like to lose. Um, so much so that as soon as- She still doesn't like to lose. <laughs> I, I tolerate losing more now because I understand the action of playing for play's sake. And it took me many years to get to that space of understanding that there doesn't have to be achievement uh, attached to even play. And what I would notice is if I, if I didn't excel or if I wasn't immediately good at a game, I just bagged it. I didn't like to play that game because I started to gather the things that I was good at. And again, this tendency to achieve for some of us really can color the experience of playing because I think we want to expand the definition of play to really be any moment, right, where we can have a lightness, a fun, a creativity about us. And it doesn't have to be moments where, again, there is even an outcome. And like Jenna's acknowledging, I'm really working on, you know, understanding that there is so much value in being playful and even maybe playing a game that does have a winner and a loser and me not being the winner that I would prefer to be. I think the value in being playful is that you're actually fostering and creating that connection to your deepest, most inner self. And I think often I, I used to teach for many years, really all years since I was a teenager myself up until these last couple of years with us working together, whether it was teaching, working in a pediatric hospital, and even in that situation, even in the oncology unit of a pediatric hospital where you have kids who are quite literally fighting for their lives, I had the privilege of witnessing such true and innate joy and imagination and play and curiosity where, you know, even a child who is you know, low on energy and frail in a bedside, very much struggling, is still joyful, can cultivate a a smile, wants to paint, wants to use their imagination and to play. And I paint that picture for you because I remember it striking me so, just so deeply that we don't ever have to search for this thing called joy out there. Play actually is an innate part of ourselves when we take the time to 
integrate play into our day or to reinvite play in, even when it feels uncomfy and, you know, we don't know how to do it. I'm an adult. How do I, how do I begin to learn how to play again? When we take the time to do that, we're honoring and connecting into this deepest part of our own inner child, very likely one who didn't have those needs fully nourished. And when I think of those children, you know, at the bedside or little ones that I would teach in preschool or kindergarten, I see that that play, that joy and that wonder is generated from them. It's from within. It didn't matter what the external circumstances were for that child in the hospital bed. All of that joy and play was themselves. That was their innate self-expression coming out into the world. And it's so powerful for me to hold on to that picture. And hopefully you can take that with you as well for those of you listening, that as we grow older, as you know, we get into systems and we have conditioning happening around us, we have our families, we have society, we have culture, we have media, we get farther and farther and farther and farther away from that internal spark. And the beauty is that it's not gone. Play is never lost. Your childlike wonder is never lost, which helps me personally because I can see that panic when you get stressed out thinking, oh my gosh, I haven't played. I haven't played in decades. I don't know how to do this. You know, joy is not a part of me. I can't access the feeling of joy. And that's true for a lot of us. We're unable to access some of those joyful feelings or emotions if we are completely dysregulated, if we are in chaotic or unstable environments. And the thing to hold on to as you do put things into practice, as you are on your journey, is that you're not searching for anything to pluck out of the sky. Joy isn't out there for you to find. Everything that we're discussing here is something that comes from within. We're just doing the work to essentially undo and to chisel away what already is at our cores. I love this this definition of play really to be an extension of of self-expression so we can really you know be playful in any and all context and you know I go back and I think about play in my childhood outside of my desire to win games and you know I think about who was playing with me and it was always my dad my dad was playing with me for a, for two different reasons that I want to mention here um the first of which is very cultural um, my mom and my dad have directly shared with, with us children that, you know, when they got married and they started to think about having children, um, there was, you know, somewhat of a discussion and it was decided that my mom would tend to the home. She would stay at home. She would care for us, send us to school, make the meals, do the laundry, clean the house, which is an incredibly large job. And my dad would go out and would work and would be kind of the financial backbone of the family. And was also the one responsible for play. And it surprised me that that was actually like decided on. Um, and again, whether or not that's cultural, colored by my Italian heritage or, or what, but that was very much like the roles that were decided. So not surprisingly, when I have memories of play, it was with my dad or my sister in particular. My mom really wasn't ever there or present. So outside of the decided role, Again, I think about my mom and how connected was she to her own self-expression. And what I know about my mom is she was living in her own chronic illness and she was, you know, dealing with on almost a consistent basis, my sister and her chronic illness. And there was a lot of survival mode. So whether or not she even wanted to play, you know, I have the idea that my mom didn't have access to that safety, to that self-expression. And when I think of it from, from that angle, I 
my heart hurts. I ache. I feel sadly um, that my mom wasn't able to embody that. And I actually have one memory that you know sticks with me, even though I have very few memories of my childhood to, to date, to remember. And it's a moment of my mom. We were as a family, me, my mom, and my dad. Uh, every Christmas holiday, we would get on or around 10 days off between the Christmas holiday and the new year. And my dad worked for Amtrak at the time. So we were all able to very gratefully uh, travel via the Amtrak train here in the United States around different states. And we would do that. My dad would take off that same period of time and us as a family would go on day trips. And long story short, one of the day trips, we went up to New York City and we went to a very big um funny enough, in the topic of this conversation, a very big toy store called FAO Schwartz. And of course we went for me, my mom, dad brought me for me to go and look around. And we ended up leaving with this really goofy pair of sunglasses. And when you put them on, it made your eyes look really wonky. And I have these memories of my mom putting on these sunglasses as we're riding the train home that night, um, looking crazy and us all giggling and her giggling along with us. And I'm getting chills even thinking about it. And you know, why that memory, again, stands out in my mind for me is because in absence of seeing my mom in this playful state, you know, very frequently, here was one of those moments. And it, it really, it struck me. It, it touched me. And again, it wasn't a moment where we were doing anything structured. She was just being playful. And for whatever reason, she was able to do so, feeling maybe safe with her family, grounded in our experience, and put those glasses on. And again, I revisit that memory in absence of, of really having more memories of my mom in that mode. And I have deep compassion and deep understanding and saw that same pattern in myself. Again, like I began the episode up until my thirties, I wasn't playful. I had a really hard time even laughing at jokes and finding, you know, joy or, or lightness or ease in my day to day, because very similar to my mom, I was stuck in survival mode. My focus was elsewhere. I didn't have that connection or the safety to just be who I was in that very playful self-expression. I appreciate your sharing so much. And I appreciate how whenever anyone shares, it illuminates or kind of ignites these old memories or little sparks in my own mind. And I know we hear that a lot back from listeners as well, that listening to these podcasts and conversations or our shares kind of brings back this floodgate of memories or times in your past experiences or current experiences. And one that I had never really thought of was my own mom and, and her laughter or lack of laughter. And I can imagine what that moment was like for you hearing your mom laugh for the first time in contrast of seeing that it's been missing. It was so highlighted for you because it wasn't something common. And when I think back of my mom, I've I'm learning a lot more about my relationship with my own mother through witnessing your relationship with your mom and realizing that in a, in a lot of ways, they're one and the same. In some ways, they're very different, though. My mom never showed emotion, even up until, you know, these past couple of months. I told her at Jake's funeral, at my brother's funeral, that I've never seen her cry. And she shed like maybe a single tear and since then has told me that she's cried maybe once. And that lack of displaying emotion goes for every emotion. I also never saw my mom really express joy. I never really saw her actually express. For one, she was largely never there. She was out working multiple jobs to take care of us. And when she was, there was never play or joy. Instead, I always had my brothers. I had siblings. So the three of us 
were always out playing. And as I'm hearing you share about, you know, your childhood, your dad was the one that played with you. And I realize each of us here, everyone who's listening, we all have different family dynamics or sibling dynamics or community dynamics that have different people who might engage with play or who won't. And my siblings and I definitely found imagination and play kind of as a survival mechanism. And I'm really grateful for those experiences and see that consistently, whether it was survival mechanism or not, because we couldn't be in the house, I'm grateful because play, especially play in nature or just a joy in nature, has become such a consistent foundation in who I am now, even as an adult. You know, it was no coincidence that I sought out teaching or working with children or even working in pediatric oncology. There is a joy from within and a childlike wonder that I've always stayed very strongly connected to and very strongly attached to in some ways, because to me, play and imagination were like my safety blanket. They they kept me feeling safe because I always knew that I could go with my siblings outside to find laughter, joy, or with my own imagination, I could cultivate that from within. So I can also see how it did become a strength. I kind of used it to survive and that had its pluses in a way. You know, I've really continued to cultivate that childlike wonder. And it's only been these last couple of years since joining forces with Lolly and Nicole that I, for the first time in my life, am not working directly with children. And that contrast over time, I started to realize that play was always so factored into my days because it was literally my world. It was my job. I taught preschool. I worked in hospitals. I taught kindergartners in first grade. And over the last three years or so, I've really noticed that I need to intentionally carve out the fulfillment of that because my need for play or for that expression, especially for someone who struggles to express excitement. It's kind of ironic for me that I do love play as much as I do. And it's the contrast and it being missing over the last few years that allowed me to see, whoa, that's a big part of you. I didn't realize how much play was such a value of mine. And we created a course inside of the Self-Healer Circle, our online virtual membership, which is actually opening for enrollment tomorrow, uh, May 2nd. And one of our courses a few months back or this past year in there was around conscious play and really connecting with that inner child and why it is so important because we could think of play and just write it off like, you know, that's something that children do. Though if you're listening to this podcast or you've read the book or you're in the membership, you're on some kind of journey to heal or evolve or grow, then what you're seeking is that connection to you, to your authentic self and self-expression. And play is one of the most impactful ways to engage with that, to strengthen and foster that because you're immediately meeting and gifting the need of this inner child that you now get to be the grown-up for. You get to be the parent that looks after little you and nurtures little you with the awareness now that you have. And I definitely think it's important to acknowledge that in the process of that, I know integrating play newly in our days or as an adult really looking at play or conscious play, playing for your inner child for the first time, that can feel really uncomfortable. It can almost bring up a lot of 
a lot of shame or a lot of judgment where you go to do something new that feels uncomfortable and immediately you want to bag it. Or like Nicole, when she wouldn't win at something as a child, she didn't want to do it anymore. It lost its fun. Well, as an adult, those same emotions and feelings and experiences are all going to come up. That's our greatest opportunity to just allow them and to finally actually be the parent that you didn't get to have around you and foster that. So what my journey of conscious play has looked like really was built on the foundation first and foremost is my whole healing journey really has been built on is reconnecting with my body and learning how to cultivate that safety. Because again, if we're not safe in our bodies, then we're not going to feel safe enough to be playful, to be joyful. And then the second layer of my journey really was learning how to inhabit play um, as an individual. And what I mean when I say this is one of my go-to lines as a child was, and if my sister or my dad ever happened to listen to this, I'm sure you'll get a giggle. It might as well have been my mantra. And this was, I'm bored, play with me. And I would just run around the house anytime there was a downtime moment and just state to whoever was listening, again, usually my dad or my sister who was available for play, I'm bored, play with me. And what I came to realize was that idea that I needed a someone else to be playful was really, again, based in my family, my dynamics, my conditioning, this idea that I needed someone else, period, whether it was to meet my needs or to have a playful moment. So this isn't to say that play in relationship isn't important. It absolutely is. When you're able to be playful with another person, you're able to demonstrate that safety and, again, that self-expression. Though for me, right, really embarking on a journey of separation, I came from a family where there was no separation, where there was no real individual. For me, it's now learning how to find those playful moments alone, how to be playful when no one's watching, how to find that in my life for myself. Of course, in addition to creating playful moments with my loving partners, for me, it was really learning, can I find a playful moment without someone there to be there with me or to participate in that moment with me? And on that journey, I'm finding, yes, there are many moments where I can enter that lightness, laugh at myself, you know, do something, dance um, in a playful way, even without anyone in the room. And for me, that that is a really important part of my journey, though, that again, I just want to emphasize here, only came or only began to be created after I learned how to cultivate that safety. Because locked in survival mode, no, no moment felt safe enough for me to be playful, whether or not someone was available or present to me or not. And as Nicole's describing that, you could picture a small child, a child who is in an unsafe environment or who simply doesn't feel safe. You're not going to have a child in front of you who doesn't feel safe engaging in this act of play or joy or laughter. So the expectation, too, that as an adult, if I'm dysregulated, if I'm not feeling safe within my own self and my own body, then I can't access that joy. It doesn't mean that it's lost or gone. I think a lot in our communication, we, we speak as if it is gone, as if joy is lost, as if that could even actually possibly happen. Joy isn't something that you could have or that is lost. It's simply something that is within and that can be generated. And if we're setting ourselves up with this expectation to just, you know, cultivate and express joy at the snap of our fingers or drop of a hat, then we're putting ourselves into a corner and really setting ourselves up for failure to give us more reason not to intentionally practice play in the first place. 
Because the reality is, Jenna, um, even those of us, once we become safe and balanced in our nervous system, once we even found play in our individual and maybe our relationship lives, there might be those days where we're sad, we're low, we're down. And that vibration of play, you know, feels and is far away. It's impossible. And I'll just speak from my own lived experience of the past few weeks um, having recently just celebrated my mom's first birthday without her here present on this earth with us was really difficult. And I started to feel the sadness creeping in, you know, several days before her birthday. And what that felt like for me was low sadness. I felt actually physically heavy in my body. And so for those few days, play, you know, probably was largely absent. I don't remember a playful moment, especially in the few days around her actual birthday where I was really sad, really heavy, really deep in grief. So the reality of it is that when we, if we do set up an expectation or if I did kind of look past, look back over those couple of days and then shame myself for not having a moment of play, then I'm really setting myself up for an expectation that can't be met. The journey of healing, even healing our relationship with play means having all of our feelings. And there will come days where we're low, we're heavy, you know, we're depressed, we're grieving, we're sad, and play not might not be accessible to us in that moment, though the gift is always every new moment, we have a new choice. So that might look like tomorrow for some of you listening, if you are in the throes, you know, of an emotion Play might become possible for you when your mood elevates naturally. And again, all of this happens as we become more connected with ourselves, with our own process and with our own relationship, namely to our bodies and our emotions. Because when we're safe, when we're in that higher vibrational space that isn't sadness, that isn't grief, then play again becomes possible or accessible. And the more we practice, the more we give ourselves that grace, the more readily accessible or more available it is for us to have moments of joy, even in experiences of deep grief, where we get to kind of respond to situations newly. I was really challenged with this or really had an opportunity to expand greatly back in November, December, when two weeks after Jake died, the course that I was then teaching in the circle and the self-healer circle membership was about celebrating yourself and about celebration and joy and how far we've all come on our journeys. And I remember, I think I stayed in New York for two weeks um, after Jake died and came back literally maybe the day before that course was released. And I just felt like it was so ironic. Like, of course, one in November, the course that had just been released inside of the circle was on letting go and on grief, which was ironic during Jake's passing. And then the next month is all about celebration. And we're the ones that had to de design this calendar, you know, and the schedule. So I can also see the divine planning in it. Granted, I didn't know that Jake was going to die on November 14th, though I am able to reflect now and really see the beauty in it because that was such an example for me to really live the experience of, you know, celebration and joy aren't these mythical things floating through the sky. They are from within. I was able to experience myself, like Nicole's describing around her mom's birthday these pa past few weeks and that feeling of grief and not being able to access that. There were definitely periods since Jake's death where 
there, there is no access to joy. <laughs> there is no triumph. You know, it's painful. It's, it's sad and it's heavy. And at the same time, because of what our course release was, because I chose to come back to work right away and continue embodying what I knew to best move me forward on my journey, which is actually being here, doing the work with you and alongside you. When we talk about putting play as a priority, you know, I also want to honor as much as, you know, we're over here saying there, there are some moments that are going to be heavy and play is going to be difficult. Also honoring the space in those moments where we might feel playful. And I, sh I say this, you know, kind of acknowledging and observing and even hearing in myself sometimes a, a self-shaming with this idea that when things are heavy and whether or not they're heavy in our personal lives or maybe they're heavy because of global events, I think a lot of us shame ourselves out of those opportunities to find those playful moments with this idea of, oh, I shouldn't be able to be playful or joking or light or joyful because of what's going on. And while, again, it might feel far and not be accessible in some moments, there might be moments that surprise you where play is available even amidst a heavy time. And for everyone out there listening who knows their body is locked in fight or flight survival mode, who hasn't had a relationship, you know, with play in a while, beginning to explore, just like you're saying, Jenna, you might not know yet how to find play or what you want to be playful in or around or what brings you joy or lights you up. Um, for me, I know I didn't. Um, I had memories of things in childhood that I liked in terms of play, though I also knew I wanted to expand. I didn't want to just have to win a game to be playful. So for me, it was a journey that began with being curious, with experimenting, with finding new ways and new moments to begin to be playful in my day-to-day -day life. And it's still an ongoing journey. Um, like you're saying, I think if we listen to an episode like this and we then have the expectation that poof, we're going to be playful in the next hour, we might be setting ourselves up not to be able to meet that expectation. So as all things, the journey to find play in our life is the journey that we talk about each and every week here on the soundboard. It's the journey to really reconnecting with us. Play can simply be an extension of your self-expression, of your lightness, of your natural joy. And we invite all of you listening to, to really begin the journey, to explore. Maybe the first thing you do when you hit end on this podcast is go explore. Where is play in your current life? And if it's not as present, can you begin to regulate your body, find the safety so that you can then inhabit those moments of play throughout your day? So as always, to continue this conversation on play and all other topics in self-healing, we look forward to joining you for next episode on The Soundboard.